So we began a new teaching series last week called the Makarioi, and we did that because no English word captures what these things are. They're huge. Uh, Andrew and I sat upstairs this week for a couple of hours and struggled with what they mean. Like, was Jesus serious? Um, is this about the future? Um, are they just ideals? Are they truisms? What are the Beatitudes? So what I want to do today is just assert that Jesus actually really meant what he said. That seems like a silly thing for a pastor to have to tell you, right? But for the most part, when you read commentaries on the Beatitudes, you come away with the idea that everybody says, well, yeah, nice idea, Jesus, but that's not very practical. Like, how does that work? And when we try to sort them through, I think we end up with those kinds of dilemmas where we say, in what way are the poor blessed? Right? How? In what way are people who are mourning blessed? What does it mean to be like that? What I want to do is uh, go back to something I began to talk about last week and, and uh, want to just keep pressing forward. Um, Stanley Hauerwas, I referred to him last week, is a, a very provocative, quite elderly scholar. And I listened to him on a podcast this week, and he said the thing at the top there. He said, we missed the radicality of the church. A people called from the world for the world. I don't know if radicality is a true word, um, but you get the point, right? The church is not as radical as it should be. Do we agree with that? I think we do. Other commentaries and people who are observing the church say things like this. Evangelicalism in the West chooses to accessorize our lives with faith instead of our faith dominating our lives. You may want to let that settle in. In what way may it be true that we have our faith as an accessory to our lives instead of um, a matter of the lordship of Jesus and our faith dominating our lives? See, we live in a day and in a context where everything is relatively good. I mean, compared to the whole world, compared to history, everything is relatively good for us. And so we could tend to enjoy all of that, to be responsible with it all. But faith is not something that is desperate for us today and here. It may become something that we just accessorize our lives with. Everything else is good, and to boot, we also have a relationship with God. Uh, that's our faith. Well, what did Jesus say and mean? Let's have a good look at the first two of the Beatitudes today. And here's what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or poor, we will see another version, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, the Beatitudes are found in at least two places, and they're appear to be two different accounts of two different times that Jesus gave the Beatitudes. 
The first is on the Sermon on the Mount, and the second is on what is called the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus came down to a flat place, whereas this one, he went up onto the mountain. The second place that we found, find it recorded for us is in Luke. And here's what Luke says, um, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. And then he goes on to say, but woe to you who are rich, for you're receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are fed, well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Wow. Did Jesus say these things and did he mean them? What was it? What kind of a commentary was it? Um, we're told uh, little sort of editorial notes when, when people say, who is this person who speaks with such authority? Like, he's, he's not like one of our rabbis. So who is this wandering rabbi who is saying things that are outlandish? He's saying things that are counterintuitive. We, we even now look at these Beatitudes and say, how? Why are these truisms or statements of fact um, coming from this rabbi? So what we need to do, I believe, is to back up and see Jesus in his uh, actual context that it might be hard for us to imagine. So first of all, we're going to go to Galilee. We're going to go up a hillside, and we're going to be among a throng of people. Uh, they're probably just the ordinary people of Israel. They are um, farmers, they are shepherds, they are tradespeople of one kind or another. They are living under the thumb of Rome. So Roman soldiers are also plentiful. And Rome is very hard on people that oppose its regime. So if you are a radical or you're a revolutionary of some kind, you better watch over your shoulder in case there's a Roman soldier there. So when Jesus said these things, it's against the background of this oppressive regime in which the people of Israel were desperate for release from Rome. Farther back than that, we need to understand that the one who is now talking is Jewish. So one of the things that we overlook in the church is that we are a Jewish product, right? Jesus is called Jesus what? Messiah, not Jesus Christ. Christ has become sort of a meaningless word for us, and it's his name. It's actually a word that means Messiah. So the one who is our Savior and Lord is the Messiah of Israel. And what Jesus said and did needs to be understood against the background of his Jewishness and his identity as the Messiah. So when he said what he did in the Beatitudes, 
he was speaking as the Messiah of Israel. The Messiah of Israel is the Lord of the church. The Messiah of Israel is our king, and he is the coming king. And the kingdom that is arriving and going to be is a kingdom that was promised to the Jews, first of all. And then through our uh, inheritance, um, we also become those who can inherit the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring. So it's against that background that we struggle with understanding, well, what the Beatitudes mean. If, they, if they're just good ideas for good Christian people, they're, they're kind of just over the top. But if somehow or other they, they fit in the whole panoply of God working for people and God establishing what he will in the future that is yet um, out there and, and promised and realized in Christ. One time, um, Jesus was walking and went to the synagogue, and somebody gave him a scroll, and he read the scroll. And here's what he read. It's from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What does that sound like? A bit like the Beatitudes, right? What Jesus said after that, I'm just going to walk back here and get my water. I left it somewhere. Thanks, Helen. That's Helen Smiley, by the way. When Jesus finished reading this, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. How is it fulfilled? By his presence, right? So this is Isaiah stretching hundreds of years, reaching up to Christ, and it is the realization in Christ of the promises of Isaiah that sound a lot like the Beatitudes. So how do we understand the Beatitudes? They're huge. You know, they, they, when we come back to blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn, we begin to understand them against the whole background of an oppressed people longing for redemption. So the word poor is very interesting. Um, it's, it's a Hebrew word, anawim, and these people were considered the righteous poor. And the righteous poor were different than just the poor poor. The righteous poor, um, the word both in Hebrew and Greek, it has, they both have the connotation of being oppressed. So it's not just that you're economically poor, but that you're pushed down, you're oppressed. And it is to those kinds of people that Jesus is speaking, and he is declaring to them 
that the promises that Israel has longed for, for thousands of years, um, are going to be realized, and he's the one that's going to realize them for them. So he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence, which is wonderful. So when we think about all of the things that the, the Beatitudes entail, we ask the question, well, what, what kind of material is this? What, what kind of promises are these that are made by Jesus? And if you remember in school, you had a multiple choice exam, right? And it was one, two, three, four. And you hoped and prayed that four was all the above, right? Please, please let it be all the above. Every which way we think about the Beatitudes is part of what they are and part of what they mean. So if we try to get our arms around that, they are all about the release from bondage of God's people whose history goes all the way back to Egypt and who have been oppressed ever since. Um, they also reach way, way forward into the future. And we ask, are, are these the constitution of a new kingdom? Yes to that as well. Are they incumbent upon us? Yes, they are. They are moral guidelines and ethical guidelines. Are they things that we should strive for? Yes, but as we said last week, they actually come in a bundle. They come in the bundle of your faith. Um, Howard Watts said that uh, every Christian um, will find that these are true. Um, they will emerge. They will uh, be exposed uh, as you live your life faithfully. Not that you need to attain to them, but that as situations come along, you will discover that you are so constituted, says Hauerwas, that this is the kind of person you actually are because you've been created into a new being. The old has gone, the new has come. And so they are an answer of prayer for Israel. They are the announcement of the kingdom for Israel and for us. They are also for the church. This is the constitution of the church, that we are these kinds of people. And we do not strive to be those kinds of people. It appears in our circumstances that, in fact, that's how we will behave. That's how we will respond. That's how we will act. What does it mean, blessed are the poor? Well, the poor are those who are oppressed. And in the situation in which Jesus was speaking, they were all around him. Um, the poor are, are those um, who are blessed because they have discovered that their riches and their wealth are not in their possessions or their, their finances. So remember the story of the rich young ruler. Um, this young man came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you tell me. What, what does it say in your, in your law? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, bingo, that's it. That's exactly right. So, but one thing, here's, here's what you need to do. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And we're told the young man went away sorrowful because he had a lot. What was going on there was that his investment for meaning and the future um, was all in his portfolio. And Jesus said, we have a new economy in the kingdom. 
you who have tons of money, give it away. Because then we'll know that you are actually given to the right values. Give it to those who don't have finances because they've already discovered that their meaning is not held up in, the, in their finances. So why don't we just balance this all out? And the young man said, no, I can't do that. So when Jesus pronounces the woe on the rich people, you know, we assume in that it's the rich people who are um, guarding their wealth, hoarding their wealth, and oppressing the poor. So Jesus said, no, blessed are the poor. And maybe another time he said poor in spirit. Probably he preached this many times. Maybe one time he just used the word poor. Maybe another time he said poor in spirit because that's a value and something that we need to embrace as well. But blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What we suggested last week was that these characteristics are in us, that we don't have to get them, we don't have to strive for them. So do we observe that the poor are blessed? Do we observe that those who mourn are comforted? So I I just want to suggest to you a a few ways that uh, I have seen these things take place. Um, In terms of being poor, I met a young man called Sali. Sali Hussein was a Fulani believer from northern Nigeria. And he and I were preaching at a conference in Lagos. And he um, was a convert from from Islam. And there were people who were out to kill him, like like literally out to kill him. Um, And he was the happiest man I ever met. And the way his happiness showed up you know African laughs, how, Africans, how African men laugh, like deep stomach-based laugh. So Sali was that kind of guy. The, the missionary that was hosting us for this conference, um, Sali would talk for quite a long time. So the missionary walked up to the pulpit the first time he was preaching and pointed at his watch. And Sali said, ha, 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 ha. The white man has the watch. The black man has the time. I asked Sully where he was going next, and he told me where he was going. And I said, how are you going to get there? He said, I don't know. I said, do you have money? No. I said, do you have transportation? He said, no. And another man came up, and he happened to be an evil man, which is a different tribe, and they had this rivalry. And um, the evil man said, oh, the Fulani man will never tell you what he really needs. And Sully said, the evil man will always tell you more than he needs. Right? <laughs> Sully was honestly the happiest man I've ever met. He, he was full of joy. And yet, he was absolutely poor. Absolutely poor. And he lived his life um, day to day. Um, without actually ever telling anyone what he needed and receiving it because the Lord would speak to them. Somebody would speak to somebody else and something would be be provided. Blessed are the poor. When I was in college, we were poor, as most college students are. There were times we had nothing to eat. And every time we had nothing to eat, somebody brought food. 
or money. We've not had to do that ever since. Because we all can find ways to get what we need, right? You have credit. You have friends. But when we really need and honestly come to God and say, I am poor in this matter. I do not have what I need. Um, then we can live into blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, another time that I heard that African laugh was in Uganda. And we were, were, we were there over the course of about two years teaching theology. And one time the, the students were gathered. They were basically village pastors from along the Nile River. And we were able to bring food that, that was way more than they ever could get themselves. I mean, they, were, they had, had basically were subsistence farmers, pastors at the same time. They had very, very, very little. So we would have meals with them. And when we would have a meal, um, it got to be kind of a common conversation that we would say, how are you? And they would say, we are satisfied after they ate. And they were satisfied. Like they, You could just watch them eat and take delight in how they were enjoying a basic rice and sauce meal that we were able to provide for them. They were poor. They were just abjectly poor. And yet they also were happy, and they were happy with any good that anyone brought to them along the way. Jesus helps us understand that what this world has sold itself to is a false hope. Um, making money is necessary and we need to do it wisely, but it is not what makes who we are. Um, it would be better if we would say, actually, I will choose poverty if it's a matter of um, poverty over against being satisfied that I myself can provide everything that will make me happy and will meet my needs. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And we would say, how, how are, the bless, uh, are the mourners blessed among us? So as a pastor, I have probably done more funerals than anybody in the room. There was a while when we were in Toronto that I had two funerals a week for like three months. We didn't know who it would be, but we knew that there would be two deaths in the church. It was an aging congregation, and I would watch dear old people walk by a casket, and I could almost hear their mind saying, I wonder when it'll be my turn to be in the casket. Um, I've also had funerals for people who are not people of faith in, in any way. Um, I have spent time with dying people, um, people of faith and people without faith. Um, blessed are those who mourn is true because of who Jesus is. He said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence today. That is, that it was immediately then true, blessed are the poor and blessed are those who mourn. Why are the mourners blessed. They are blessed because the things we say to one another are remotely true. There is a home, you know, beyond the horizon. There, 
There is a place beyond the clouds. There are angels looking down over us. We say a lot of things, and there's a modicum of truth in there because what we know is true is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's it. If, if you're in the body, you're not present with the Lord. If you're absent from the body, you are present with the Lord. Now, how? I have no idea. Um, in my strange head, um, it, it seems to me, I ask myself questions like, well, where are they? Where's my dad who passed away last, last summer? Where's my mom who died years and years ago? Where are Annabeth's mom and dad who, who are gone? Um, and what are they doing now? And the scripture is strangely silent about what happens between a person's death and the coming of Christ, the new, the new kingdom fully realized. What I think happens, and this is not theologically sound or even tested, but what I think happens is we go sideways. So C.S. Lewis had a lot of notions that are interesting, um, that you could go to Narnia and time would pass by in Narnia, and yet when you came back through the wardrobe, guess what? What day was it? Today. All the time that passed in Narnia was in a different dimension, was another kind of time, it was like sideways. I think when we die, we go sideways. And whatever happens here is the passage of time. But when Jesus returns, it'll be the next moment from when somebody died. And you can run that around your head if, if you like. What I do know is that the, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When will they be comforted? At least we know that God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. I think there will be a moment of reunion when everyone who has gone will be joined by those of us who go with the coming of Christ. And the weeping that we have done and the weeping that then takes place will be two different kinds of weeping. There will be the weeping of sorrow because of separation and there will be the weeping of joy because we are together again. How many dimensions are there? I have no idea. Where is heaven? I have no idea. Why did Jesus say um, things that appeared to mean that heaven was up there? And why did we latch on to those sorts of things? You know, the same Jesus who has gone up into heaven will come down again. And, oh, is that how it works? I'm not sure. What I do know is that this is true. The resurrection of Jesus is the historic confirmation of the truthfulness of who he was and what he did. And if the resurrection of Jesus is true, then we have a blessed hope, like a blessed hope that we ought to be shouting about and singing about and dancing about, because when this life is over, we're not done. It's not over. We are going to be with the Lord and with all of those who has gone ahead and all of the wonders of the kingdom uh, heaven and earth will come true for us. So that it then is true, blessed are those who mourn. Because they will mourn for a short time. And then will be the mourning that will come at the end of the morning. And I just think there's not a bunch of time where people are whiling away their, their time in heaven, uh, wondering if it's time to go back to earth yet. I think they're just like, just like that it'll be. I died... Just now, now I'm alive. And you're all here. That's cool. It was all true. 
It was all true. So every time I do a funeral, that's what goes in my head and my heart. When I was a young pastor, I had an un, almost irresistible urge to raise the dead. It would have been a bad idea, unless I could. But it would have been a bad idea to try it, right? But it was just like there's something in us that says, no, no, that's, that's not good. And it's not good. But blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They, they will be comforted by the realization of the truth of the faith and the truth of the belief in Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. So what are the Beatitudes about? They're like about everything. And I've been confused. I've avoided you know, Matthew as future kingdom truth that we'll understand or we'll realize later. And I can't go there anymore because now I'm convinced that the kingdom has come and it's coming still. And that all of the stuff that Jesus said was actually true. That he actually meant what he said when he said all of those blessed things about those blessed people. So what do we have to do? Nothing except realize them. Realize in our lives, in the lives of people near us, that the things that Jesus said were, are, um, actually are now as well. Um, I think we have to get beyond our culture and our Western individual Christian faith and say, what God is doing is bigger than me here and now. And what needs to be realized by the, by the church in the West is that our faith is more radical by definition than we are letting it be. We are accessorizing our lives with our faith. I think we all have to just confess that we do that and then say, well, how, how, how does that change? How does it become the dominant thing about me? Um, when the young ruler said, what do I have to do? Jesus said, go sell everything. So what was that? It was, it was like a test. So if, if, if you want to claim, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, um, but I am, and I, I, I don't have all of my, my stock and, and finances and, and that. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Well, maybe just sort of go look in your closet and see what the nicest recent thing is that you've bought. And bring it and give it to, to close the cost. And they say, well, no, I don't want to do that. That's a really nice shirt. Well, you said Jesus was Lord, but you won't give a shirt away. Um, okay, it's not the most recent thing you've bought, but maybe it's the best thing. And you think it'd be good if we gave this sort of thing to close without cost. And so I'll give um, the things I don't want. Well, what if you say, no, I'll keep the things I don't want. I should give away the things that I do want. You get a new iPhone, and you give the old one to somebody. Why don't you give the new one to somebody? Right? That, that's how we test these things out. Jesus said, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. And the guy said, huh, you've got to be kidding. I'm not kidding. Sell everything and give it to the poor. That's the new economy. That's the economy of the kingdom, and that's the way of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you only knew it, 
when you live into and in that economy, you will be thoroughly blessed. Um, there will be a corresponding blessing for each of the diamonds that are exposed in your life. Why are the poor blessed? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. Because they have realized that the kingdom of God is their wealth. And that's why they're blessed. Why are the mourners blessed? Because they'll be comforted by wonderful truth and realization. So I think Hauerwas is right in saying that the radicality of our faith is not as stark as it ought to be. And that is not a call to um, shame us or to you know, uh, disappoint us. It's just a matter of saying the faith that we are part of, and that's why the capital F, that faith is everything. It ought to dominate everything. Every way I think, everything I do should be filtered through the faith passed on to us by generations and the faith that we experience together as the, the company of, of the people of God. Andrew is going to catalyze our journey into uh, practicing the way. We're, we're going to practice some habits, some ways that will help us shift from being individual accessorizers to being a community of disciples. And maybe we'll get to be that kind of people that are in stark contrast to the world that's around us. We're not better than the people around us. We're not different. But there are things that God is up to that we get to be part of, uh, which are exciting for his kingdom. Why don't we pray? Father, guide us into all of the truth of Jesus, the Messiah, who has uh, tidied the whole thing up. I mean, the, the Bible is an incredible book. It's, the, there's no way it, it, it could have been figured out by any person or persons. Here's Jesus who reaches back to Isaiah and says, you've just seen that. That, that happened here today. And the Bible speaks into our lives, into our communities. Today, even into our economics, in a way that might disturb us and just excite us, Father, that, that what Jesus said is just the truth. And there's a different way to think about many, many things, many, many aspects of life. And that different way is a blessed way. We are the makarioi. We are the blessed ones. Uh, so help us to enjoy that as we understand it and uh, experience it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.